Hey, what's up, New Hope? First and foremost, I just want to give a warm shout out to the moms at all of our campuses or for those of you who are watching online. Happy Mother's Day. I have often said that we have some of the best moms on the planet right here at New Hope Church and uh, just wish you a very happy Mother's Day. We have a photo booth at every single campus. Hopefully you will go out there after the celebration today and get a picture with your kids or your entire family or your friends. Just take advantage of it. We love you and hope you have a phenomenal day. Secondly, I want to welcome you to this park. Uh, I decided to shoot this message from a park for two reasons. First of all, the great thing about parks is that everybody feels welcome, regardless of anything. All ages, all ethnicities, all socioeconomic levels, everybody feels welcome at a park. And so that just kind of emphasizes our current series, This Is for everyone. The second reason I wanted to bring this message to you from a park, because today I am in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, this week we are celebrating my twin boys. They turn 22 this week, and they also are graduating this weekend, this Saturday and Sunday, uh, from the University of South Carolina, that's Benjamin, and uh, Citadel, the Military College of South Carolina, that's Wesley. Could not be more proud of these guys. And uh, though I'm with you in spirit, I felt like I needed to be with my boys and with our family celebrating this momentous occasion. Hey, won't you help me today? Won't you just help me welcome all the campuses? I'm talking about online campus, Sanford campus, Garner campus, Hillsboro, Durham, and of course our Kenya campus. Come on and just welcome everybody to the movement today. We are so glad you all are here. So this is the last installment of our series, This Is For Everyone. I hope you have been blessed. Don't forget, next Sunday, we are kicking off a brand new series called Mindset, Change Your Thinking, Change Your Life. And uh, I have talked to enough of you to know that you are as fired up about this series as I am. But let's get to the message today and wrap up this series on This Is For Everyone. You see, the truth is, value is determined by what someone is willing to pay for a particular item. Have you ever thought about it that way? My boys, Caleb and Joshua, uh, they are little wheelers and dealers these days. Uh, thankfully, they are not dealing what I was dealing when I was their age, uh, but they are in this season where they, they pick up things. They, they'll get a pair of shoes from this person or, or they'll buy a jacket from this person and then they put it on Facebook Marketplace and they're little entrepreneurs. They're, they're making money and sometimes they're making bang. And I've had to kind of work with them a little bit to help them understand that the value of that item is not necessarily what you think it should sell for. It's not necessarily what you list it for on Facebook Marketplace. The true value of that item is what someone is willing to pay for that item. You see, again, value is determined by what someone is willing to pay for a particular item. And when you think about that in terms of people, it reminds me of John 3, 16, one of the most popular verses of scripture in the entire Bible. If you know it, you can say it along with me today. Come on, church. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son 
that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. God determined that every single person was of such value that he was willing to give his one and only son to save them, to redeem them, to secure a place in heaven for them. Now, friends, listen in. Many of you have experienced the greatest thing in the world. Jesus sought you and he saved you. You've come into a relationship with him. You know that your sins are forgiven. You know that if you were to die today, your place would be in heaven forever. You have truly received and you are experiencing the gift of salvation. But maybe it's been a long time since you told anyone about it. Or maybe it's been even longer since you invited someone to church where they too can experience the life-saving, sin-forgiving gospel message of Jesus. And that is what we've been camping out on in this series. And many of you have been investing and inviting people. We are seeing guests come. Many of you have asked God to soften your heart for people that you know who are far from God. Well done, church. But for those of you who know Christ, one of the most unfortunate realities is that the longer a person knows Christ and has been saved, the less they interact with people who are far from God. You might recall a few weeks ago, I let you know that Joe Audres has studied this topic and he pointed out that, that most Christians, after they've been a Christian for two years, the overwhelming majority of them don't have any significant relationships with those who are far from God. And the unfortunate reality is that sometimes the church has grown to accept that reality, which is why I am so thankful for this series and the way in which I believe collectively and individually God has been softening our hearts, giving us a desire to go out into the community and compel people to come to the church. And I've always said this, check it out, church. If you get them here, if you get them to a campus, we will offer them Christ eventually. And I don't know about you, but I just believe we are better together than we are out there trying to do it alone. I mean, if you have the gift of salvation, you go for it. You can walk people down the Romans road to salvation. You can present the gospel. But I believe that we are better together. And when we go out there and we invest in people and we invite them to church and we partner together for the gospel, the kingdom grows. Why? Because this is for everyone. And if you just look at the life and ministry of Jesus, he was all about this. He goes to the house of a dishonest tax collector named Zacchaeus. That's in Luke chapter 19, 1 through 10. He forgives a woman caught in adultery who was shamed by everyone else. That's John 8, 1 and 11. He offers living water to a Samaritan woman who had lived with five different guys, unable to fill the need, the deep vacuum, the hole in her soul, John chapter 4. And I could go on and on and on. Jesus was always out on the margins. He was always out rubbing shoulders and serving and loving and redeeming the people who were furthest from God, the people who acted the least religious, the people who got on the nerves of the religious Pharisees. Those were the ones Jesus was involved in. 
And I just can't help but remember Peter. Peter said in Acts 2, 21, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone, church. And that has been the thrust of this series. I remember early on in the life of this church, I took a lot of heat because I started a ministry called Theology on Tap. And it sounds like exactly what you're probably thinking. On Tuesday nights, I would head into uh, downtown Chapel Hill on Franklin Street. And uh, one of the folks who used to come to our church was the owner of Spanky's. And uh, he would allow us to go up to the second floor of Spanky's. This is an old landmark restaurant in Chapel Hill. It's no longer here. It didn't make it through COVID. But back in the day, this was about 2003. We started the church in 2002. In 2003, 2004, I would go into Spanky's second floor. We would invite college students to come and join us. And we hung out in the bar where I would talk theology with these students. They could ask me questions. Guys, I'm here to tell you, it was one of the most refreshing ministries I've ever done. And uh, it's not like I was in there drinking. In fact, I sat up front with a music stand a lot like this, and I had water. The students obviously drank, and uh, no one was getting out of control. But it was an incredible environment because it was a place where we could level the playing field. It wasn't within the four walls of the church. It was not all about come and see, but it was about go and be. We entered into their world, into their college campus area, Franklin Street, and we were able to talk about God. We were able to talk about theology. I was able to answer some really hard questions. And I, I'm sure I didn't get the answers right every time. Sometimes you just got to say, I don't know, right? But here's what I do know. College students would come to New Hope Church as a result of that. And I was given the opportunity to present the gospel several nights in this bar environment for Theology on Tap. And would you know that I had people actually leave the church because I would go to a bar and try to minister to college students. And I didn't like it. It always breaks my heart when anyone leaves the church. But I had to just come to terms with the fact, hey, are we going to be a church who will get outside our walls? Are we going to be a church who will build redemptive relationships with people who are far from God, people who are not religious, people who might not believe what we believe or behave like we would behave? Are we willing to, here it is, follow Jesus out to the margins to serve folks who might be far from him? And I just decided early on, and so did the leadership of New Hope, that we were willing to risk that. We were actually willing to risk losing people so that we could reach that many more. And I don't know where you are in all of this today. I don't know if you love God or hate God or you're just in the middle confused. I don't know if you love the church or you hate the church. But here's what I do know. If your picture of God is anything less than that of a God who loves you and a God who loves all people, people who are better than you or people who are worse than you, then you've got a bad picture of God. Check it out, church. God loves kids who've been showing up for church and God loves kids and families who haven't been to church. His love for those with special needs and for the victims of rape. His love is for the hell's angels, bikers, gang members, or for kids with two moms or people who are counting the days that they've been clean and sober. 
His love is for firefighters, farmers, truck drivers, stockbrokers, single moms, rednecks, and seminary graduates. His love is for people with secret lives and stagnant faith. It's for politicians, factory workers, tattoo artists, and owners of tattoo parlors, foster kids, and meth dealers. His love is for Republicans and Democrats and independents. His love is for families falling apart and families pretending that they have it all together. His love is for people who are healthy and his love is for people who need a doctor. His love, his agape love is for everyone. And the moment a church truly starts to embody that kind of culture, that kind of divine environment, the church becomes one of the most beautiful and redemptive realities on planet earth. And thanks to this series, I believe we're getting that back, church. I believe our hearts are starting to soften once again for people who are far from God. And so it is my joy today to introduce you to an amazing couple in our church. I'm talking about John and Heidi Tripp. And we wanted to take this entire worship celebration today and we wanted to frame it around this life change story. And this story has everything when you actually stop and think about it. And the truth is I couldn't be more proud of this church because through this most difficult, challenging, confusing, painful, heartbreaking story, God received all the glory. He received all the glory through this couple. He received all the glory through Heidi's journey. And they experienced a church where they could be needed and known. So why don't we just gather around today and check out this story and praise God for what he did in Heidi's life. Check it out. My name is Heidi Tripp. From a very young age, I've been a strong-willed person. I think in a lot of ways that was good for me. It was good, it helped me survive, it helped me get through things in life that I, that I have gone through, hard times. But being so self-sufficient didn't allow any room for God in my life. Because of some childhood trauma that I went through, I lost a lot of my trust in humanity, um, especially men. And so if God was this father, he wasn't a father I really wanted anything to do with. I got into alcohol, drugs, partying, anything that could distract me. I was just trying to run away from myself and the loneliness and the pain that I felt inside. After high school, I left. I went to college in Texas, applied to grad schools, got into Colorado Christian University. So I lived in Colorado for all total about seven years. Loved it, it was wonderful to live there. But again, the same problems were happening. The same things were coming up. I was engaging in the same behaviors, just a lot of drinking. Um, there were nights where I would be intoxicated, walking home from a bar at two or three in the morning by myself. I look back now on some of the behaviors I engaged in and I know this might sound dramatic, but it's a miracle that I'm alive. 
So through a series of events that I am convinced only God could have orchestrated, I knew it was time to close the chapter up in Colorado. So I moved back east to North Carolina to be close to my family again. I met a friend that I was working with and she invited me to New Hope. From the minute I walked in, I knew that that was gonna be my church home. I was done wrestling and fighting with God. I had wrestled for years trying to do it on my own. And by the time I had come to New Hope, I was ready to cry, uncle. I was done. And I turned it over to God and I said, okay, Lord, I am yours. I didn't want to fight him anymore. I wanted to do things his way. I dove right in when I got there and signed up to volunteer in the first contact area and absolutely loved it. And I met my husband there in first contact. I noticed him way before he noticed me. <laughs> and I just thought, I want to know him. Two years into our marriage, I started to get really severe headaches. I started vomiting. I couldn't move, really. My husband happened to be home that day, and I said, you need to call the ambulance. They assessed me, said to go right in for an MRI. They tried to give me a migraine cocktail because they thought it was a headache, a really severe headache that didn't touch the pain. So after the MRI came back, they came to me and said, you have a large mass on the right side of your brain. I was so out of it, I looked at my husband and I just said, what's a mass? It was inconceivable and he said, it's a tumor. Two days later, I was in surgery. The tumor was so large that they, when they came out, the doctors said that they're gonna have to go back in for a second surgery. By the grace of God, made it through that one as well. After that surgery, I had to relearn how to walk um, basic life skills and tasks that I will never again take for granted, but had to relearn how to do all those things. Five months later, I was getting quarterly MRIs and they found out that the tumor had started to grow back at a pretty aggressive pace. I was devastated. I just fell to my knees in my bedroom, across my bed, and just cried. I didn't see any hope. I didn't know what was coming down the road, but God did. And I just thought, okay, maybe, maybe this is it for me. I mean, my mind was going to worst case scenario and I felt God saying, and I'm not gonna leave you or forsake you. I've got you. So I went into surgery and came out of that one again by the grace of God. I had to do 33 treatments of radiation, six weeks. It was daunting. It was overwhelming. I've never felt closer to God than when I was in the radiation machine, those moments that um, could have been really dark, and they were at times, were often filled with light and the closeness and the presence of Jesus. So in the Bible, when it says, I'll meet you in the dark places with treasures unknown, I found that to be really true. God gave me so many opportunities to witness, to bear testimony to other people, and um, I just talked to everyone who came across my path. We were watching church online through a lot of this. We also went back to church pretty quickly thereafter. Being in church, being around fellow believers um, just did so much for my recovery. Being able to lift my hands, to praise and worship God, to um, just have other people carry me and, and lift me up during that time, and I'm convinced was part of the healing process. Coming out of this, the financial burden was monumental. We, we got our first bill, 
Um, it was $200,000. We knew there was no way we would be able to even touch that bill. We didn't know how we were going to make it. There was a month we didn't know how we were going to pay rent. We were in church one Sunday, and one of the pastors came over to us, and he said, I have this envelope for you. I can't tell you who it's from. They want to remain anonymous. And we had just been talking on the way to church. What are we going to do? Um, and we opened up the envelope, and there was enough money in there to cover our rent for that month. So we just cried through the whole service. Um, I thought, okay, God, now you've gotten me through the surgeries and the radiation. You're, you're probably done. You've probably had enough with me. It's too much. After making some phone calls and um, people just, again, pouring into us and helping us with resources, the $200,000 was taken care of. God, in his faithfulness and goodness, um, continued to repeatedly show up for us and to cement and solidify in our hearts that he sees us, he knows us, he's got us. And it might not look the way we think it should or want it to. You know, I didn't want to do a third surgery. I didn't want to go through radiation. But my husband, John, he would say to me, the victory has been won. We have to walk through it. All we have to do is walk it out. And I felt God saying that to me. I'm holding your hand, but I need you to walk this out because I'm going to be doing things along the way to build your story and to build your faith. That if I had not gone through that, I, don't, I know I wouldn't be where I am today in my faith. He didn't have to prove himself faithful to me, but he did. God promised us hard times, but he also promised that he'd be there in the midst with us. And he showed that to me that he was. There's no way I could have gotten through this on my own. I have fond memories of being at the hospital, which sounds crazy, I never thought I would say that. Recently found out that um, tiny bits of the tumor have grown back and I have to go back for radiation. Again, five treatments this time, not 33. And I'm excited to go back. I get to go back, the same radiation therapists are there, I found out. And when I go there, I ask God, show me who I can bless, uplift, and encourage. When we're in the midst of suffering, it is not about us. It is about God and what he's doing and his bigger plan. I'm holding on to that this next time too. I have a renewed sense of life, of being alive, of being grateful for life. Every morning, I thank God for another day, for waking me up. It has new meaning for me to be awake and alive and to be able to just do life.